Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and you're at home and you're joining us, if you'll turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 1, I want to read a few verses in the book of Daniel. And, uh, you know, today, uh, as I'd mentioned earlier, the president had announced that today is a national day of prayer, uh, March 15, 2020. And, uh, and, you know, this is not the first time that our president, uh, President Trump, has given us a national day of prayer. Matter of fact, the last one that he, um, that he had uh, ordered was uh, Hurricane Harvey that hit Houston, Texas, and the Texas Gulf Coast. The president declared September 2nd or September 3rd, a national day of prayer. And uh, President Trump, of course, uh, spoke on that day, on that national day of prayer, and he quoted out of Psalms 46, verse 1, uh, that talks about that God is a very present help in time of need. Now, how many of you know God is a very present help in time of need? And, and I want you to know, I'm thankful for a nation that has a president that is willing to call a nation to prayer. I was shocked by learning that he, because he has done that, now the courts are being filled with lawsuits uh, trying to get, uh, trying to reprimand and trying to change the constitutional amendment or whatever it takes to keep us from calling national days of prayer. And, uh, and our nation's been full. Our president made the comment. He said that uh, in times when our nation has been in crisis, Uh, We've always been a nation that has called out to God and has always leaned towards God. It has been that way since the beginning. And you can go back even to the National Day of Prayer that was called on June 12, 1775, when our Continental Congress had declared a day, a National Day of Prayer, which was uh, the 20th of July in 1775. It was a day of humiliation and fasting and prayer. It was called by the Continental Congress, and, uh, and, so, and, and it was called so that it might unite the hearts of the people. And so that was the purpose. And Washington understood that that national call, the prayer, had had a great impact on the Revolutionary War and America's freedoms because he acknowledged that in his inaugural address in April, April 30th of 1789, when he said, the God Almighty who rules over the universe, who presides in the councils of nations, and who is providential, who is a providential aid, can supply every human defect. We know that God has the ability to supply every need that the human body or the human needs, and that we need as men. And so Washington acknowledged that. John Adams also was a president that called National Day of Prayer. He did it twice in 1789 and 1799. National Day of Prayer and Repentance had been called um, uh, many times throughout our nation. I'm going to men- men- not going to mention each one of them, but in World War I and World War II, Woodrow Wilson in World War I, World War II, uh, uh, the Korean War, there was a National Day of Prayer that was called. And uh, even Great Britain, the great story of... Uh, King George VI that called a national day of prayer during World War II when the British troops were stuck at Dunkirk and uh, were about to be annihilated by the Nazis and uh, the Nazis could not get into Dunkirk because of the fog and, and uh, what happened was they called a national day of prayer in May of, uh, and so what happened was 
is that the troops were able to get to those troops in Dunkirk, rescue them, bring them out, keep them from being annihilated by Hitler. And it's amazing what God does. The National Day of Prayer is a call to repentance to humble ourselves before God in submission and appeal to his mercy. How many know we need to appear, appeal to the mercy of God? And so uh, I believe we're living in an hour uh, when men shake their fists at God and some declare that we don't need God or that we don't need to recognize God. But uh, President Trump, in the face of lawsuits and in the face of a nation that somewhat is beginning to turn uh, its head away from God, we're seeing signs of that. And uh, we are truly uh, becoming a nation that has forgot its foundation uh, to the point that where men uh, have become, uh, you know, revisionists of history even. Uh, that there are those who are trying to rewrite history. I saw this week in California, the last couple of weeks, that uh, school books are being written and trying to get through uh, uh, the uh, the Congress and representatives in California to rewrite the American history and to remove every aspect where there's a divine influence in it. It is an amazing thing to me and to revision. How many know you can't rewrite history? That is, our, that is our heritage. And we have that heritage. Thank God for that heritage. And that is why I'm so thankful for uh, men like Ken Ham uh, who built the Creation Museum and the Ark and Men like from Hobby Lobby, the owner and CEO of Hobby Lobby, who helped finance the Museum of the Bible, which is in Washington, D.C., that has preserved America's history, not only uh, a biblical history in the Creation Museum and in the Ark, but also uh, throughout the Bible's impact on history. And so we thank God for those places that are become places of heritage for us. Because we're living in a world that is becoming very hostile towards the things of God. And so uh, I'm thankful for that. If you would, if you look with me at Daniel chapter 1, I want to begin to read verse 1. I have a word for you this morning, and I hope I can get through it. If not, I'll continue because I really feel strong about this this morning in a strong way. And uh, almost I wish I had a crowd this morning. But, um, uh, and it's, it's, it's a little difficult trying to preach without people in the sanctuary or whatever, but uh, we'll get through it this morning. Beginning in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1, it said, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. Now, I want you to notice that. The Bible said that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Sinar and into the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Asphiaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they, they might teach the language and, and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies 
and of the wine which he drank. And three years of training for them so that they, at the end of time, they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And verse 8 is what I want you to see and hear this morning. But Daniel purposed in his heart. I want you to see that phrase. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacy, nor with the wine with which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we love you this morning. We pray that you anoint your word. We pray that your word would become living and alive in us today. And speak to our hearts for a few minutes this morning as we begin to travel down this road of knowing God. God, that we all need to become like Daniel in the hour we live in. And so, God, we thank you that your word is anointed. And we pray, God, that that the hearts of the people will receive the word and that the word would fall on good soil this morning and would begin to reproduce in each life. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I meditated on uh, all that has transpired in the past few weeks and even in the past week, I felt the Holy Spirit speak to me and drop something in my spirit, and I wanted to share that with you this morning and uh, for a few minutes. And uh, I wanted to just kind of share a word with you, a particular word, and then I want to begin to unpack it uh, this morning and begin to just kind of break it down with you this morning. And the word that the Holy Spirit has spoken into my heart and that I have this morning is the word shocked. And uh, that word just kind of permeated through my spirit as I begin to pray this week uh, for our church, for our nation, as I begin to spend time with God and and, uh, and trying to bring understanding to some of the, 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 the hysteria that people are walking in and some of the craziness that is going on. And I want to tell you something. I, I don't feel that uh, this coronavirus is going to set the world to a place of where it's going to be this world plague that takes out bunches of people. And I don't even believe that there are many people, you know, that even in our congregation that we are threatened by any of that. I don't want to tell you I'm not afraid of the coronavirus. Let me tell you, I, I've been around religion. I'm more, I've been around religion long enough. Uh, but religion was a more threat to my life the last in all my years than what the coronavirus would be. And because uh, uh, none of us want the spirit of religion to be on our life. But this word shock and uh And so, what does that mean? What does that word mean? What is the definition of that word? Well, the word shock means a sudden upsetting or a surprise event or experience. To be shocked, that's what that means. To be a sudden upsetting or a surprising event or an experience that comes. But here's here's what I mean. How many has ever, those of you that are in the medical field, you have seen this. How many has ever seen anyone who has gone into shock? or who has been shocked, they have gone into shock because of an experience or an event that has put them to a place where their body goes into shock, or they respond. It's the body's way of protecting itself or protecting what it values, which is life, of course. The body goes into a shock. 
I want to give you the definition of shock, of going into the shock. It's an acute medical condition associated uh, with a fall in blood pressure caused by a sudden event as a loss of blood or a severe burn or a bacterial infection or an allergenic reaction or a sudden emotional stress. In other words, the body goes into shock. That sudden event draws the body into shock. And I believe what happens is, and, and it's amazing, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because there is a place I want to go this morning. But when we talk about the body being in shock, there are certain things that happen that are marked by the body as it goes into shock. It's, its skin begins to turn pale. There's a, a coldness that comes on the body. They feel cold. There's a, uh, a rational or irregular breathing, a rapid pulse. There's a um, uh, dilated pupils. So when the body is in shock, there's also, not only is it internally stressed, but what happens is there is the manifestation on the outside of that body being brought into shock. The body is thrown into an abnormal response by the shock. It begins to manifest the symptoms that is, that is on the outside of it are not normal. In other words, they're not normally functions that happen on the outside of the body. When the body goes into shock, What's manifest on the outside is, is, not, uh, is a picture of abnormality. It's not normal. It, it shows you that something on the inside is going wrong. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart this week that, that what we are experiencing in our nation and what we're beginning to see in a shift in our world and in our culture is that what we are seeing, the enemy is providing to this culture these cultural shocks and as the enemy attacks with these small cultural shocks, as he has over the last 20 years, since 9-11 really, uh, what we're beginning to see, these cultural shocks are disruptive attacks against the body of Christ to disrupt a last days church that God wants to raise up to gather a harvest like never seen before. But what happens is, is these disruptive shocks, these cultural shocks, that we experience all of a sudden throws the church into shock. And what happens is the church manifests on the outside uh, a different response than what it should because on, internally we have been rocked in our world. Our Judeo-Christian faith has been sh shocked or has been uh, radically uh, disrupted in our lives. What has been normal to us has been disrupted. It all began with 9-11. It all began uh, with these, these things. And if you have paid attention the last decade, you know how technology has changed. I'm telling you, the last 10, 12 years, technology, social media, the advancement of technology, news and world news, its ability to affect us and hear it and know it comes at such a fast rate, we can barely absorb one news story, then we got another news story. And it's what's happening. And our bodies are being these moments where uh, we have these outbreaks of diseases and hurricanes and all of these things that, that are happening in the world that has happened since 9-11. 9-11 changed the way we think about things. It also proved to us that we were shifting from a post, from a Christian nation or a Judeo-Christian value nation at the core to now we have shifted to an anti 
uh, Judeo-Christian value nation. Now we are seeing a world that is now being hostile towards the things of God. And what we are seeing is, is that we see these moments of shock that are coming. I believe it's a sign also of the last days. I believe it's just as the, the church is coming in, the return of Jesus gets closer, so shall we see these shock waves that happen in our culture. Well, the purpose of it is to disrupt our lives this morning. And so this morning, you know, uh, uh, you know our current, uh, uh, we can become shocked. It brings our culture today. We live in a world now, and our, our contemporary culture brings a new challenge to our Christian faith with each passing day, with each passing day. And I read to you the book of Daniel. Daniel was a young man who grew up in a Judeo-Christian or a Judeo-home cultural traditional values of his day. He was a Jew that grew up that way. He found himself all of a sudden by one moment, culture shock hit him, and he found himself in a, in a foreign culture. He found himself in a foreign world that he had, he had no knowledge of or had no knowledge of. The value system changed. The truth claims changed. The moral compass was now challenging, uh, respectively. Uh, everything that he had learned uh, at, at every turn, the world uh, is, is now uh, a world of pluralism and paganism. And... Uh, and, and, you know, he could have turned and blamed uh, the challenges, the circumstances of his culture. He could have turned and blamed the social ills or the, the, the governmental system or the court systems or the educational system. The number, the number of, the, you know, he could, have, he could have accused the kings that have gone before him that created the atmosphere. But it's amazing how Daniel seemed to respond appropriately, even though his, his culture was shocked. Even though there was this, this event, this experience that happened in his life that should have paralyzed him into a place of, 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 of really not knowing what to do or how to do. But there was just something inside Daniel that would not respond to what was happening around him or the circumstances that were around him. And, and we can learn some principles from Daniel in the fact that how we respond to the cultural shocks of this hour depends on how we will be effective as the body of Christ and as the church. And so that we don't be a church that's thrown into cultural shock. That all of a sudden we, we don't carry the symptoms of, 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 what, of what being in shock carries. That we are not a church that has been shocked by what we see happening in these last days. I, I'm telling you, there's, there's things that are coming our way that are coming so fast that the church at times can't even respond or don't even know how to respond. But Daniel seemed to step, and it's amazing because when I read this, it's as though Daniel could step right out of Scripture and into our modern culture and show us some principles that would be able not only to uh, help us exist in our culture, but be able to exist in this 21st century. But also, Daniel teaches us to engage our culture, to thrive in a world that has been shocked. And like Daniel, we find ourselves in a world um, that has passed from one uh, culture uh, or one influence or Christian society uh, where, you know, look, 
uh, folks, we know that in the 70s and the 60s and 50s and, and 80s, you know, we, we, we enjoyed a, a nation that had a, a value for Christianity. I remember as a kid, there were no restaurants that were open on Sunday. There were no grocery stores. Even secular businessmen respected Sunday because their employees were, were churchgoers. And, and they wanted churchgoers to work. Businesses wanted to hire Christians. They wanted to hire churchgoers because they knew they were people of integrity. They were people that would do the job. They would show up on time, clock in on time, do the job they were asked to do. And they knew in that time. And so being closed on Sunday was a benefit for them. And so it was an honor. And even though they may not have gone to church, they reverenced, they respected the value of those who did. And so our world's changed. It's not that way today. I'm telling you, we're so caught up with everything in this world. We're so fast-paced and so going that the church has been left so far behind that the church is probably one of the last things that is on the minds of many people that are in our nation and in our world. And can we really expect, how can we really expect to change this crumbling culture around us? And so it seems like that these things keep coming, these coronavirus things, these things that happen in our world that we are seeing coming at a rapid pace. And I could probably sit down, we could all remember things in the last 15 years that has hurricanes and events and world events that has shocked our world and shocked our system, shocked our our, our lifestyles. I mean, we as a nation has even gone through that and seen what we have seen over the last couple years. It is interesting to watch the church respond in various ways in respect to addressing the culture and how we respond to the culture. Now, some, some respond with compromise. In other words, they allow the permeating pluralism philosophy of the day to subtly take away the focus from the exclusive, exclusivity of Christ. In other words, some give in to compromise. In other words, instead of, of, of taking the word of God and living the word of God out, there's a compromise that comes into their life. There's a pluralism. They allow the influence of a world and a culture to permeate their life. And what happens is it takes away the focus from the exclusiveness of Christ. And so the focus is no longer Christ, but the focus is on me and what I want to do and what I want to be. And so we have a compromised church that preaches things that appeal to the flesh and appeal to the human uh, uh, self-will. And so what happens is, is that there is a compromising church and it takes away from the exclusiveness of Christ. We as a church have to understand that we should be about preaching Jesus and him crucified, preaching Christ first and winning souls to Christ, giving people Jesus more than we give them five points of how to become wealthy and six points of how to get a right wife or how to do that. All those things can be fine. There's nothing wrong with teaching practical living. But we cannot remove the exclusiveness of the preaching of the gospel in this hour, which is to lift up Jesus and let all men be drawn unto him as we preach Christ. Some compromise. Some condone the culture. It's much easier uh, to, from the pulpit to condone alternate lifestyles, to uh, uh, not only condone these lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God in the pew, but now we are now accepting them into the pulpit. 
There's a condoning of our culture. There is a, there is a justification of allowing people to remain and to live lives that are contrary to God's word, and yet we don't hold them accountable. We, the church kind of condones what goes on. Then there's, the, there's those that condemn the culture. And so they condemn the culture. They always got a Bible, always ready to thump on somebody, always ready to scream at somebody, always ready to be a little bit louder than anybody else. And thank God we have an example of Daniel where we can learn to confront the culture, to engage the culture, speak truth and in love. And, and, and we have done a lot of condemning. We've done a lot of the ability of coming at people and condemning people instead of understanding that we live in a world that is post-Christian. You know what that means? That means most of the people that are walking into our churches and sitting in our pews do not have a core value of Christ in their life, nor have they had. We've always used to preach from the fact that people understood some of the principles of God. And that people that even that were lost would come and sit in our churches would have some type of foundation of God in their life, even, even if they weren't churchgoers. There was this, either at school, because the schools would reinforce prayer in the morning, or would have Bible classes, or pledge allegiance, or there would be, be even in our culture, there would be this recognition and respect for the things of God. But now we've got people walking into the house of God that come from a world that knows nothing of God. And we have to be careful not to condemn them because they do what they do, not because they want to do what they do. They do what they do because they live out of the instincts of their life. They've not heard that there is a Christ, there is a Jesus that redeems us and breaks every bondage in our life. And so we understand this morning that those that are sitting here with us may know nothing of Jesus. And so we have to be careful not to just condemn the fact that they have given themselves into a lifestyle or they've given themselves into a world that has swallowed them up, has stolen from them, have taken from them, uh, uh, stolen their life, stolen their family, stolen their children. We know they sit in these pews, but we have to understand that condemning them is not how to address them, but we have to engage them. We have to love them. We have to speak truth and let that truth is what transforms their life. And so we understand. And so the shock treatment, how, how do you treat shock? I thought to myself, well, if, 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 if we're shocked, if someone goes into shock, well, how do you treat shock? Well, they say the, the pinning, different way, there's different areas of shock. Shock is, can, can happen to us in different ways. There's many forms of it. And some of them can even lead to death. But, you know, there's uh, fluids. They say the way that you, 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 you fill yourself with fluids. Uh, and a lot of shock is caused by a root cause. There's an underlying cause that happens that brings folks into shock. They say well, some of them may need blood transfusion in order to overcome the infection or the heart condition, dehydration. Uh, and so... The, the way that they overcome that, they see the symptoms. Some of the symptoms is, is there, there's an eye stare that gives doctors the, 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 the knowledge that somebody is in shock, they're stunned. There's that vision has been limited when they're in shock. There's an irritation and an anxiety that comes when someone is in shock. When someone is in shock, there's this uh, illusion of confusion that is around them, and there is... Uh, 
Uh, also, there is the sweating and chest pain. And I want to tell you that when a culture goes into something or something happens in a world that you live in that is contrary to what you're used to, the church can really be shocked and have, and, and, and we too can, can look at things with a gaze because we've been shocked. We can, the anxiety of the hour, the confusion that it can bring. I'm believing that God will touch us and that we will not be susceptible to culture shock, that we will not be a people that's paralyzed by our, this hour we live in, regardless of how difficult it gets or how bad it gets, that we refuse to fall into the cultural shock of the hour. We refuse, but we will be like Daniel. We will learn how to function in a society that's much different than the worldview that we have. I'm telling you, you wake up every day and you go into the marketplace of your life, whether you're a teacher or whether you're whatever you do, whatever you're calling, a business owner, whatever you do, you walk into a marketplace. You walk into a world where there's hostility toward the worldview that you believe, the Christian values that you have. And you've got to deal with that every day. And I'm here to tell you there are some things out there that'll come at you that'll put you in shock if you don't know how to deal with it. I'm preaching to myself this morning because I hear the common thing I hear folks say nowadays is like, you can't make this stuff up. And, uh, you know, I, I, I grew up in a family that had some drama. You know, I, I, you know, I had a broken home. You know, my parents divorced early. And, you know, there was always, you know, this drama. And, you know, you all know our, my story. God brought a stepmother into my life that changed my life. She's watching this morning. I love you, Mom. It actually changed my life, chaos in my life, and she helped bring structure to my life. And her and my father, of course, uh, uh, they separated when I was a senior in high school, and of course, that was tough. And, and, and so, you know, we, we just, every family has issues. We had them. And, uh, uh, and my stepfather, uh, who I love very much and miss him uh, a bunch, he, he passed away in 2007. And uh, when we were living in other states or pastoring other churches in other states, I would often call my mother uh, just to say hello or hi. And I always loved talking to my stepfather because my stepfather just gave it to me like it was real. And, uh, and so I would ask him, I'd say, how things are going? What's going on at the house? How's everybody? How's the brothers and sisters? Well, there was always something going on, and he was always going into a story of something that happened or something that was going. And his favorite line to me was, Shane, this stuff is something. You just can't make this stuff up. And I'm telling you, we're living in an hour and a day when we're seeing things. You just can't make some of this stuff up. But it's a sign of the birthing pains that God is getting ready to raise up a generation that's going to be anointed to do like what Daniel did. For many years, Daniel served two wicked kings and came under and was able to do what others could not do. I pray the anointing of Daniel would come on us right now. The anointing of Daniel would be on our church to live in a culture. We don't always do things. I don't always do things perfect. 
I'm not the best minister there is. I make mistakes just like anyone else. But I'm here to tell you, I'm believing God. In this last hour, there's going to be an anointing that comes on the church and comes on God's people as the birthing pains of the return of the Lord is getting more and more frequent and closer and closer. God's going to raise up a church. There will be a revival and a harvest in this last days. And I want to be a part of it. And I hope you want to be a part of it too. But we have to learn to be like Daniel and not succumb to the culture shock that comes into our lives. My God, help us this morning. Francis Schaeffer, the 20th century cultural prophet, he said several things in his ministry. He's one of the great thinkers of our time, along with many apologists like Ravi Zacharias, and I could mention it. Others who were men who were great thinkers. And Francis Schaeffer was one of those men. And, and uh, he prophesied not long ago and uh, shortly before, uh, years ago, he prophesied. And uh, he said that what was going to happen, what would come to pass, is there would be a day when Judeo-Christian values would no longer uh, be an influence on society, that there will be a transition into a post-Christian nation. And he prophesied that. Actually, he lived to see it. And so I began to think about this, and this is what he said. He said, when that happens, you look for a nation to become a schizophrenic nation. A world will be schizophrenic. In other words, they don't have Uh, the traditional values to stand on, a foundation to stand on, they'll become schizophrenic. And and it's just like this. And it says, and and here's what we have. You say, well, what's that mean to be schizophrenic? Well, to be things like this. We, for years, we had Billy Graham pray and preside over inaugurations, but we would punish high school students for praying at a graduation or a football game. We would watch the president And other leaders take the oath of office, put their hand on the Bible, but school administrators would be fired for opening the Bible to give counsel to a wayward student. We would would see that in the streets of America, there would be law and order in our streets, that the police and authorities would carry out law and order, but at the same time, we would teach moral, there are no moral absolutes in our classrooms. Do you understand what I mean when I say that there's the schizophrenia of our world? And Francis Schaeffer was right. He said that there would be a time we would no longer be post-Christian. And when we do, there'll be a schizophrenia about our culture. And I'm here to tell you that we live in a day when we we have to learn how to engage in this hour. And so dealing with the post-Christian world. So many Christians, sometimes we hunker down and really we, we ma- manifest an isolationism when we really should be instead be producing an insulation, uh, illism, where we are insulating ourselves from the world, not isolating ourselves from the world. And the church in the book of Acts exploded when Paul and others stepped out of their comfort zones and engaged a culture that was different from their own. And we are now engaging a society that is no longer asking if the Bible is true. The only question they're asking is, is the Bible really relevant? 
And the reason they ask that question is because if the Bible is not lived out through us as saints, how would they know that the scripture is true? And the way they know that God is real is that we become God's agents for this world. We are his representation. It's just like what God said to Moses when he stood before Pharaoh. He said, Moses, in chapter 7 of Exodus, he said, you will go before Pharaoh and you will be as God, as God to Pharaoh. What was God saying? Was he saying that he, that he wanted Pharaoh to look at Moses as a God? No, what he was saying was, Moses, you are my representative. You carry the authority that I have. And when Pharaoh looks at you, it is though he is looking at God himself. And the question in this hour is, people are not believing that the scripture is true. Maybe it's not because we're not teaching it enough or there's not... YouTube videos enough to teach us more of the Word of God. Maybe folks are questioning the Bible because the Bible is not being lived out in those who confess that they belong to God. Should we not be living out this Word? Should we not be God to a world? Should people not see God through us? As Pharaoh saw Moses. Do we not carry the authority of the word of God? I'm here to tell you we carry the authority of the word of God. We carry what Jesus left for us to carry. Inside of you is more than what you recognize and what you know this morning. And I'm here to tell you that we have to insulate ourselves. Not isolate ourselves. But to insulate ourselves so God can use us. And that is what happened in the book of Acts. We are now engaged in a society that no longer is asking if the Bible is true. But is it really relevant? In the sight of all of the cultural shocks that our society has had to endure in the last 20 years, Daniel found himself also in the midst as a young man. He stepped out of the And I'm asking, and I know that as we read this and look through this in the next couple of weeks, we're going to pull Daniel out of the pages of the Bible and allow him to walk among our modern culture. And we're going to see some principles out of Daniel that that will help us as believers. How do we be a Daniel and engage and confront the culture and to be awakened from the culture shock? I hope the church... I love the church. I love the American church. I think it has great gifts, and I know it's powerful and can be powerful. And I want to tell you, I'm not going to criticize it. There's too much of that going on anyway. Everybody wants to criticize the body of Christ, and especially those in the body of Christ. I'm just praying that those that are critics and criticize everything that ministries do and every preacher that's out there you got to question everything that every ministry does every preacher on tv you got to come against or you got to speak against or every preacher you don't agree with you've got to say something about it i'm here to tell you we need to come to the place to where we focus on what god has called us to do and to step into that and to be like daniel because the body of christ would be no good Until we come to the place to realize that we have to have unity in addressing 
a culture that has been shocked by this world. And so I just want to take a minute here before I close. And uh, I've been preaching a little bit now. The good thing about being online is that I don't have people sitting here on their watch. And I can preach all day long. I don't know, y'all can just turn me off if you, if you get up from where you are. But I can preach all day long. And uh, if I wanted to, that's what's good. I don't have no pressure to quit. But uh, I am going to quit in just a second. But I, you know, uh, I began to think about this. I thought, how much of our lives do we desire to be in control? You know, one of the contentions at my household, I don't know if it is yours, but one of the contentions at my household is the control of the remote control. And uh, because he who controls the remote control controls the destiny of the house. And, uh, and so uh, we like to be in control. We like to have a sense of control. It gives us that sense of control. Daniel was a young man that suddenly he was in a situation where he had no control. He was out of his comfort zone. And there will be things in your life that will come in my life that will take us out of our comfort zones. That'll take us out, that it will yank the remote control out of our hands. We'll no longer control what is around us, but circumstances will put you in ways. And I want to tell you, sometimes cultural shock will do that. It'll bring, it'll bring things into your life you can't control. How many of y'all went grocery shopping this week? I, have no, I still to this day have no idea what the obsession with toilet paper is in, 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 in our culture. Why people are fighting over toilet I have no idea. I don't know if it's just because it comes from China. or what. I, I, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. I, I, it just blows my mind. I thought, but I have no control of that. I have no control that I can't go into four stores and can't find toilet paper. I, I, I don't know about you, but that's just, what? What? What, what, what is that? But we, we, there's things that happen in our lives we can't control, and the remote control is jerked out of our hands. But I'm here to tell you, that Daniel was somebody that God placed. And the amazing thing about Daniel is God put him in a marketplace. He surrounded him with men and women that were hostile toward his beliefs. He worked, he went up and got up and went into to a place every day like you and I do. That, and where he was and where he served, he, his value systems were challenged all the time to, and, and contrary to what he had been taught, and we leave out of here on Sundays, and we go, and we wake up on Mondays, and we go to our jobs, we go to various areas of our lifestyle, where we are, and we hear all day these things that are contrary to God. Our culture is somewhat changing and becoming more hostile towards God, but how do we, how do we survive? How do we survive in a world that has been shocked by its culture? And I want to leave this with you this morning. I can't get into it, and I'll continue it. But let me tell you how Daniel did it. There are three ways Daniel did it. I'm going to give you what they are, but I'm not going to go into them. Three ways Daniel did it. Number one, Daniel didn't give in, but he continued to resist. He didn't give in, but he continued to resist. Number two, Daniel didn't give up. He remained consistent. Thirdly, Daniel did not give out, but he remained persistent. He didn't give in. He resisted. 
He didn't give up. He maintained consistency. He didn't give out. He remained persistent. And what happened was Daniel learned to walk through the culture shock of his world by not giving in, by not, but continuing to resist. And I'm going to close with this. I want you to look at verse 8 of Daniel and chapter 1 and verse 8. It said, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portions of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, I want you to see something here. When they brought, we know in verse 4 through 7, when they brought <coughs> these young men out of, out of uh, Israel, out of the southern kingdom, when they brought these men out, out of captivity, they chose the choices of the young men and brought them in. And they began to try to teach them and change their language and change, and change their, their, their mindset. They began to uh, 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 try to change their loyalties and, and do all of these different things. Change the literature, change their, uh, their lifestyle. They put them before uh, uh, what they weren't used to. And the king's goal was is that, that he would be able to transform these young men into being Babylonians so that he could place them and send them back to Jerusalem and the area so that they could help create a Babylonian culture back in Israel. That's what he wanted to do. That's what his plan was. And he did everything to get these boys to change the way they were, to pull out of them what has been put in them. And so we see that uh, they did many things. And Daniel, of course, had to learn that literature. He had to learn that new language. He had to learn these things. But there was one thing that Daniel resisted. And, it's, and to me, in thinking about it, I thought, well, maybe he would have resisted something else. But the one thing he resisted was he refused to eat the meat of the king's table. He didn't refuse to learn the literature. He didn't refuse to uh, uh, have his language changed. And he didn't refuse all the other things the king was have them engaging in. And, and, and he obeyed that. He, 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 he came under that. But I think Daniel, inside himself, he was secure who he was in God. And no matter what was coming from him on the outside, he was not going to allow it to change him on the inside. And I can tell you that part of living in our culture, when we have culture shock, we have to learn to live in a world that is around us that is no longer like us. And the key is, is not so much that we push everything away from us, we just don't allow what's out there to get inside of us. And Daniel was not going to allow the Babylonian thought, the Babylonian way of life to get to his core. Why? Because he knew who his core was. His core was he was a child of God. He was a representative of a child of God. But the one thing that he resisted was he would not eat the meat. And you would think that he would eat the meat and resist everything else. That he would eat the meat and resist the influence of the culture, resist the things that were around him. You would think would have a greater impact on him than just eating the food. But the reason that Daniel chose not to eat the food is, one, is the practical reason is the fact that it had been sacrificed to idols. 
And you say, well, so what? All the other things didn't violate God's word. But eating meat that was sacrificed to idols violated the word of God. And what mattered to Daniel was that he was obedient to the word of God. In other words, he did not give in. He resisted. He resisted anything that was contrary to God's word. I'm here to tell you that we, the nuances of our culture, we get so caught up in coming against the nuances of our culture, we forget to obey the things that God tells us to do. We want to criticize the guy with tattoos and give him scripture as if we know. We don't want to be in a culture. We, you know, I remember years ago when I first started preaching that, that, that people would come against men with long hair. When I started preaching and, and, and I got licensed, I had preachers that would not let me preach because I had uh, facial hair. I had one preacher, it was a friend, he, an older man, he'd come every week and he'd say, when are you going to shave th- that face? I'm going to let you come preach at my church. I never shaved my face because I didn't want to preach at his church. <laughs> and the truth is, we get caught up in the nuances and fighting battles of things that, that are nuances in the church and fighting over things and going after things and resisting things that have nothing to do with the internal spiritual life of the man. But we violate the word of God and not think of it. Daniel said, I am not going to give in to this culture. And the way I'm not going to give in, that I draw a line someplace. And the line that I draw is the word of God. The line that I draw is where the word of God is crossed. I'm here to tell you as a nation, we got a world we got we to deal with. We got to get out in it every day. But I'm here to tell you that just like Daniel, we have to draw the line in the sand. <coughs> We're not asking government to give Christians special treatment. <coughs> but what we're asking is that we're able to obey the word of God in the light of a culture that is hostile toward God. I want to be able to live out what the word of God says in my life. And hopefully you do too. And many of the frustration that comes and people are walking around with culture shock. Your eyes are stared. You have no vision. You've been infected. You, you are in this place of shock. Shock comes when you're dehydrated. You just need the washing of the water of the word of God to hydrate your life again. You need a blood transfusion. That's what some people in shock need is a blood transfusion. You need a blood transfusion to take place in your life. Shock you out of the reality. This culture should not shake us, but it should encourage us. And it's not easy living in the hour we live. It's not easy. I'm telling you, it's not easy. It's not easy being a Christian. And I'm sure tell you it's not easy being a pastor. And I want to tell you, I don't advise anybody to go into the ministry. 
I tell young guys that come to me and say, I want to be a pastor. I say, you better make your election sure. I knew exactly what Paul meant when the apostle Paul said, make your election sure. Because I want to tell you hundreds of times, I've wanted to lay it down and go do something else. But I'm sure the fact that God called me to be what I'm doing right now, I have no choice in the fact that, oh, I have a choice, but it's a matter of do I want to fulfill what God's called me to do. It's tough pastoring in this hour. It's tough being a Christian in this hour. We're going to pray. I feel the Holy Spirit. The Holy Ghost is on me right now. Some of you have given to fear, given to whatever the culture has said to you. You believe the lies of the culture. You believe the lies of what someone has said to you. Some of you are sitting there watching right now, looking through and watching this service and this camera, and you have been paralyzed by life. Life has paralyzed you. And, what, and what's going on is, is that the culture has fed you literature. It's fed you its culture. It's trying to make you like itself. And you have eaten. And what's happened is what you ate, you've in, you have internalized. You have eaten the choice delicacies of the culture and it's gotten inside of you. And Jesus said this. It says that's not what comes out of a man that defiles him, but what goes inside him. Now I'm here to tell you this morning, we serve a God who's a deliverer. And maybe you're watching, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. You've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never yielded your life. You've never yielded your members. Maybe you've said a prayer, but you've never yielded your members. I was sitting reading through the Bible yesterday, and I was reading, and I was reading Jesus' wilderness experience, the book of Matthew, and how Jesus was led into the wilderness after, into temptation. After he was, after he, after his baptism, he was led into the wilderness, into temptation, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus was tempted with the very things that we're tempted with, the, the pride of life, and the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes. That's what the temptation of Christ was about in, in the garden or in the 40 days of prayer and fasting. It's the same thing we're tempted with. We have to respond the same way. Satan appealed to Jesus' selfishness. Said, if you're hungry, take this bread, or take this stone and turn it into bread. Jesus said, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus was drawn into that wilderness experience. Before he ever stepped out into his ministry, he was drawn into that wilderness experience. Listen, the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, the wilderness experience of our lives is to get us on track, back on track with God. You're going through a wilderness right now? You're going through a battle? You're going through a wilderness period in your life right now? I believe it's God's way of letting you know he's trying to get you back on track for his will. God will use the wilderness experiences of our life to get us back on track. Maybe some of you need to be back on track this morning. Maybe you need healing this morning. Maybe you need a touch from God this morning. Maybe you don't know Christ this morning. I'm here to tell you the best decision you'll ever make is accepting Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to pray the sinner's prayer with you, and then I'm going to pray for those that are watching who just need a touch from God. I'm just praying the presence of God will touch you even as we are speaking right now. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, 
Forgive me, I'm a sinner. I recognize that my sin has separated me from you. But Lord, this morning I believe in my heart that God rose Christ from the dead, that Jesus died for my sins and is now resurrected. I receive Christ into my life as my personal Savior, and I confess with my heart and believe in my mouth that he is Lord. I receive him and accepting in my life right now as my personal Savior. The Bible tells us that old things have passed away and all things have become new. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. Now I want to pray for you that need prayer this morning. I feel an anointing this morning to pray. Listen, it's the funniest thing. I, I mean, we're here at church and hundreds of people here. And, uh, you know, I could, I could be praying for people. But it's funny, I'm speaking into a camera and I feel the anointing of the Holy Ghost all over me to pray for you, an anointing to pray for you this morning. So if you would, just where you are, just bow your head or just take a posture of receiving, whatever that may be for you, lifting your hands, lifting your hands out, whatever that means, I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I speak life back in to those that are watching this morning. Shock them out of the shock of the culture that has paralyzed their life. I pray this would be a new day for them, a new hour, a new moment in their life. I pray, God, the power of the Holy Spirit would break off of them those things that have held them bound. I pray there would be an anointing like Daniel to come on our church body that is watching this morning. That that, that anointing that Daniel had would come on you. That we would not isolate ourselves, but insulate ourselves. Daniel, that like Daniel, we would purpose in our heart to draw a line and draw that line where the word of God that draws it. We're not a church that's going to compromise or condone or condemn. But we are a church that will engage and confront. So, Father, I pray healing now over bodies that are sick. I pray healing now over those that are hurting. I pray, God, a fresh power of God to come on those that are struggling in their life and in their homes. Touch their families now. I pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name, our resurrected Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We want to thank you for joining us this morning and watching. We thank you for being a part of our service today. We want to remind you that next week we will begin having services again here. Our doors will be open. And this week uh, we will have our midweek service again. And we want to invite you to come and be a part. If you're watching this morning, you don't have a home church. We want to invite you to come and be a part of our church family. And uh, uh, we pray that this week will be a week of blessing. We pray it will be a week that God restores and that you have a great week Pray for our nation today. I hope that you'll take a prayer, posture of prayer today and pray along with many that are praying together in agreement for our country, our nation, our president. Uh, we are headed into times that has un, been untraveled uh, before. And we're heading into an election season. We're heading into a season where we have no idea what's coming around the corner next. And uh, I want to tell you that... Uh, there are other things that I'm more afraid of than the coronavirus. 
I just read this morning in California, the 12-year-olds now no longer need the permission of their parents to declare themselves transgender. No longer can the authority keep them from making those decisions. I want to tell you, you worried about the coronavirus? I'm telling you, there's other viruses that are running through this nation we need to be more aware of and begin to need to address. But God bless you today. We love you. Father, bless your people as we go. We pray that the blessing of God would be upon them. Let their week be a week of joy and victory. Thank you, God, for your blessing on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for watching us today. Thank you for being a part. We'll see you all next week. God bless you. You know, Clady Keith used to say, keep looking up because God's looking down. God bless you. We'll see you. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.